The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. Hey, this is Bobby Sapphire, and you're listening to I Rebel, a Star Wars Unlimited podcast. Joey said 271. Uh, what are you doing? You're not actually going into an asteroid field. They'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they? You don't have to do this to impress me. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. Forgery of Imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. State your name for the record. Jen Arsa. We have a mission for you. I want to help. Good. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags rain across the galaxy. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. Every day they grow stronger. There isn't much time. I rebel. Welcome back, friends, to Iribel. I am your host, Jedi Geek Girl. And in this episode, we'll be catching up with a very old friend to talk about what we know about organized play in Star Wars Unlimited and more. But first, we would like to plug our first original YouTube video, featuring our very first exclusive Star Wars Unlimited spoiler from FFG. Please check it out, like, and subscribe to our channel for more original videos coming soon. Friends, I am so honored to have back on the show a very good friend to both Ari Bell and myself. He was last on Ari Bell way back on episode 96, Disturbance in the Force. He was one third of the Hyperloops and is a acclaimed player in every Star Wars game he has played. Please welcome to the show everybody, the one, the only, Bobby Sapphire. Wow, what an, what an introduction. I hadn't thought about the acclaimed part, but maybe I just am selective about the Star Wars games that I play. Well, you are accomplished. There you go. And I had to mention that because I know that we're going to have a lot of new listeners to the show who aren't familiar with you. You did see some success in Star Wars Destiny, but your history with Star Wars games go beyond Star Wars Destiny, and I think it was very important to mention that. Yeah, I mean, we're going to go back to the 90s if you really want to know. Well, how are you doing today? I am great. It's my nine-year wedding anniversary, my ninth anniversary of my wedding. Wow, that is fantastic. Congratulations. Thanks. We just got back from a weekend away. I was just outside playing with my kids. So all in all, great day. Happy to be chatting with you. We haven't spoken in so long. So, so very long. But you brought up your kids. I have to ask, how is your family doing? They're great. We're all on summer vacation. I can see my kids outside right now feeding some ducks. And yeah, we're all living the dream here. So I have to ask, are your kids the type that name the ducks? Like, will they come in and tell you their names for it? Um, I don't think they've ever named the ducks. They've named fish before, but I think that was only one time. I don't think they're big animal namers. As you mentioned, and as I mentioned, it has been a while since you have been on the podcast. And it has been a while, period. Since you are a former member of the Star Wars Destiny community, I have to ask, what have you been up to since Star Wars Destiny has died? Man, that's so 
long ago. Uh, I guess mainly I've been playing, like if we're talking about gaming, I've been mainly playing Team Fight Tactics, which is like an online game. It's like a auto chess. That's the thing I've been mainly doing competitively. You know, I've dabbled in magic and I did some flesh and blood coaching for the last Pro Tour, which was like an interesting experience. But other than that, I've, I really haven't gamed much. It's sort of taken a backseat in my life to teaching and being a dad and a husband. It is so interesting to see where, as we approach Star Wars Unlimited, where all the former members of the Star Wars Destiny community are. Like, what did they pick up? What are they playing? What are they doing now? Because we all scattered. Some of them stayed in Star Wars Destiny with a, a renewed hope. I've seen a lot go to Flesh and Blood. I went to Magic the Gathering. Some went to the co-op FFG games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this has got a big, like, we got to get the gang back together feel. Like, you know, Avengers Infinity War, and we've got an hour to reintroduce 20 characters to each other. That's how Star Wars Unlimited feels. You know, you bring that up. So who's going to be the former Star Wars Destiny community member that says, on your left? Oh, God, who's the one that would say that? Um, hmm. I'm going to have to say it would be, like, for me personally, it would be Cuenca. Like, Cuenca would just show up like he has in my life for the last 20 plus years since we played Magic together in the early 2000s and just be like, yeah, I'm here, Bobo. I think for me, I think it would be the Elbert Gaming guys just because they have been radio silent as far as I'm aware. And all the social profiles and all that content is now gone from the internet. So for me, I think that would be a really blast from the past. Yeah, I talked to Drew a little bit because he plays that TFT game that I mentioned. And I talked to Cody um, a little bit when I, he was on that team that I coached. That was like how I got introduced to that team for Flesh and Blood. So I have talked to those guys a little bit, but I haven't talked to Drew too much. And I haven't heard anything from Paul since Destiny died. Enough about Star Wars Destiny. Let's move into the current times. Mm -hmm. I have mentioned that you have been on the show before, but it is a new chapter of Ivy Bell. And since this is your first time on the show in this new chapter, can you please tell our listeners about yourself and your history with Star Wars? Sure. I mean, Star Wars was my absolute favorite stuff growing up from, you know, a little kid collecting action figures. And then in the 90s, when I was, uh, you know, like a young teenager, the Decipher Star Wars CCG game came out. And I'd been like messing around with Magic a little bit, but when me and my friend who I played cards with, saw that game. We were all in. I went and bought two-player starters. And then, you know, I was buying packs all the time, walking to the card store, going to the card store at the mall, eventually going to DecipherCon in 1999, I think was the first one I went to, for the World Championship and just really immersing myself in that game. Eventually getting pretty good at it. Won nationals for the game in 02. And then just like had partnered with some really good players to do really well at the game through the early part of the thousands. And then, geez, when I, I took some time off when I was in grad school in New Orleans, came back, got a little bit back into it. And then since then, it picked up Destiny, which, you know, I did really well with forming a team that we performed at a really high level and won some events, placed highly at a bunch of events. And then from there, I picked up X-Wing just for fun. But of course, like I'm so competitive that I ended up being like a pretty competitive X-Wing player and had some good finishes there. And then when I kind of got bored of that, I was playing Star Wars Legion and had some high finishes there, won PAX East and had some other high finishes. So probably have left out some Star Wars games. But if there's been a Star Wars game since the mid 90s, I pretty much have played it. And 
played it competitively and taken it pretty seriously. Did you play the LCG competitively or did you pass on that one? I didn't. I don't know when that was, but it missed me somehow. It might have been like following when I was in grad school and I was on the Versus Pro Tour or the Pro Circuit for the Versus system. And then I got really into Magic for a time. And since Magic, I mean, that was when the height of the Magic Pro Tour was. So I think like those prizes and that grind was such a big deal that I just didn't even know about FFG or um, really the LCG. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the uh, Star Wars LCG was 2012, I think, when it was first announced. And then it went to, I think, 2018 is when it ended. Okay. Wow, I'm surprised it went that late. That's even after Destiny started. But yeah, I, I must have just missed it playing Magic, I think. I'm sorry, 2017, I think, is when it ended. Okay, stopped right before Destiny. No, well, t- Destiny was 2016. Oh, right. And there was a period of time when there was a crossover because when I attended that first world, I played in Star Wars Destiny and the LCG. But I think it ended in 2017 Gen Con. I could look it up, but what fun is it for you listeners? <laughs> right. Well, right now, does anything Star Wars related has your attention? No, you know, I, I mean, I still dabble with Legion like a tiny bit, but not really. So the only thing that has my attention Star Wars related is the television shows. Mandalorian season three, I really loved. Andor was, you know, a life changer for me, kind of saved Star Wars media in my eyes. And I'm really excited for the Ahsoka show. Ahsoka has been one of, if not my favorite character ever since the Clone Wars. So. So I am going to lose a lot of listeners with this, but three things. Uh, Number one, I also loved Mandalorian Season 3. I know that a lot of people were like middle of the road to it, but uh, I was really down on Andor. I didn't really care for it, unfortunately. And I'm not excited for the live action Ahsoka because I wanted the sequel animated series to Rebels. Just those three things. Yeah, well, I think Filoni has said that this is going to be the season five of Rebels, which I think is interesting. And I think that does expose Rebels to a lot more people. So while I understand your love for Rebels, I am excited to see this chapter in the Ghost Crew. But I'm not totally surprised you didn't like Andor, but I definitely wish you had liked it more because I really, really loved it. So you know my history with Mandalorian, and I don't want to get sidetracked off of here, but I really loved Kenobi. Kenobi was my episode seven because I am of that era. And for me, it was, it just blew me away. And then I didn't really turn the tables on the Mandalverse until Book of Boba Fett. So. Gotcha. I never thought about that. Obi-Wan being like the real episode seven. That's kind of interesting. I liked Obi-Wan a lot, but I didn't love all of it. Well, there's that generational thing, because I'm a prequel trilogy baby. I grew up with the prequel trilogy, like the older generation grew up with the original trilogy. And those people who saw the characters that they grew up with in episode 7, who grew up with the characters from the prequel trilogy, it was kind of like a mirror, because you get to see characters in Kenobi that you have not seen in a while betrayed by the same people. Yeah, no, I love. I mean, I just love that idea. I had I'd never thought about that, and I'm I'd happily forget the sequel trilogy. I'm happy to ignore if that ever existed, to be honest. And with that, let's move right into Star Wars Unlimited. Usually, I ask people what drew them to Star Wars Unlimited, but you are not fully committed to diving into Star Wars Unlimited yourself. Can you please share with us where you are right now with Star Wars Unlimited? 
and what it is missing for you to really dive into the game. Okay, so I don't think anything is missing. I mean, it's so little has been spoiled with it that like it's too tough to say that something's missing. Well, we barely know like what five percent of the cards or something insane. So I don't want to say that it's missing, but I'm hesitant to see what FFG's doing with the game. You know, those of us who've been burned by an FFG game before have often sworn off ever playing their games again. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I'm certainly hesitant about what kind of investment, both time, energy, and financial, I'm going to make with this game. Am I going to buy the starters? Absolutely. Am I going to probably buy a booster box or two? Absolutely. Am I going to travel to Gen Con in a month just to play the demos? Definitely not. You know, it's really going to depend on one who I know is really playing it and traveling to these events. Like, are there people that I can travel with? Is it people that I want to spend time with? That's the kind of thing that's going to draw me to the game on a bigger level. But I'm definitely going to play this game and try it out with my friends. Like, there's just no way I'm not. It is very interesting because there are a lot of people, and I use this word applying it to myself, so I don't want to single anybody out, but there is a lot of baggage coming into Star Wars Unlimited. You have the people who have been burned by FFG with Star Wars Destiny. You have the reception of the sequel trilogy. No matter where you fall in the sequel trilogy, every single one of those films, I don't want to say divided fandom, but every single one of them, somebody didn't like. For me, it was The Rise of Skywalker. For somebody else, it might have been The Last Jedi. And yes, there are people who didn't care for The Force Awakens. So you have those things. And you also have the people who fell away after Star Wars Destiny that are now committed to flesh and blood. Like, what does it take to get those people in? It is very interesting because... Oh, and you also have a more competitive CCG field. It's very interesting to see what it is going to take to get people to come back with all the elements that went around in 2016 with Star Wars Destiny. Yeah, I think that's completely right. And, you know, as much as they're going to want those returning players to come back, they need to they need to also find new players. And where are they drawing those players from? I know, like, Magic has really been at an impasse in terms of competitive play, but has really done well catering to the more casual fan of Magic who, like, loves the themes of the sets, like the new Lord of the Rings set that just came out. So they need to really figure out a way to get player acquisition for this game. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they've got to make a big splash. Absolutely. And you also have Lakana around the corner, too. But I think one of the things, and that will be our main topic, that Star Wars Unlimited has right now that Lakana doesn't is a OP plan day one. But we'll save that for our main topic. As mentioned in our intro, you were one third of the Hyperloops. Even though you guys are no longer doing content, could you please tell us about what the Hyperloops was and what the other members have been up to since? Yeah, so we were a gaming team for Star Wars Destiny. We were really, um, like, a, I guess we were a blog. We had daily articles about Star Wars Destiny, and then that turned into videos, then a Patreon, and then a competitive team that expanded beyond just the three people who wrote the articles. You know, we had a lot of high finishes. We won all three North American championships for Destiny. We had several like world top eights. And that was with, you know, my partners, Joe Cologne and Nick Cuenca. Nick, I don't think is doing any competitive gaming right now. I think he's just like playing the Switch and stuff for fun. 
Joe is mainly working. He's an accountant now and he's been working a lot, and, but he also was on the Flesh and Blood Pro Tour. So he goes to the Flesh and Blood events and that's what he's been up to. In a further effort to have our listeners to get to know you better, it is now time for the Bunta Eve 5. Ooh. This is the part of the show where we ask you five questions and you answer back with the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Absolutely not, but I'll give it my best shot. What is your favorite Star Wars film? Empire Strikes Back. Ooh, easy one. What is your favorite Star Wars book, comic, or video game? My favorite Star Wars book is the Legacy of the Force series, Revelation. I don't know if you know that one, but that's the one where Jaina Solo trains with Boba Fett and his daughter in the Mandalorians because she has to defeat her brother Jason, who's turned into a Sith. Uh, and she's not going to be able to do it conventionally. So she trains with the Mandos to um, become like a more unpredictable and crazy fighter. And I think it's like the only good Star Wars book ever written. If you have seen all the cards in Star Wars Unlimited, what is your favorite? Mm, I'm going to stay. So I'm really excited about the Luke Skywalker card from Star Wars Unlimited. And in general, just the heroes, what are they, the leaders that flip when you get to a certain resource point? But I will caveat that with saying, like, I love the idea of a base. And even though so far we've only seen, like, generic bases, I am really hoping for some awesome base cards. Like, I'm super excited about that. Which character would you like to see as a leader in Star Wars Unlimited? Character as a leader? Uh, my girl, Bo-Katan. And for our last question, what is one prediction you have about the future of Star Wars Unlimited? I think that the alternate art cards, whenever they release them, will be really awesome and sought after. And with that, let's move right into our main topic. Mike, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show to talk about organized play is because not only are you experienced in organized play by FFG and Star Wars Destiny and X-Wing, but way back in the day with Star Wars, with the Star Wars CCG. I know you touched upon it in your introduction, but can you please give us a more detailed history of your competitive Star Wars experience? Yeah, absolutely. With Star Wars CCG, you know, I think I went to my first tournament in 1998 and you got these printed out pieces of paper that were your command cards. And you had to bring them to each of your matches and, and like your opponent and the tournament organizer filled them out and you got a win uh, with differential. However many cards were still in your deck when you won. In my first tournament, I went 0-6. And, and I've come a long way since then. Eventually, you know, in just a few years, winning nationals and being someone who was at all, like traveling to all the tournaments, traveling to Montreal, traveling across the country, all for this Star Wars game, especially after it had lost its license. That's where I really got my itch for tournament play and traveling to bigger conventions like the Origins Game Fair, which they just had, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before, uh, that's generally in Indianapolis, going to Gen Con and going to Decipher Con. So that's really where my tournament interest started. And then, you know, from being on the Versus Pro Circuit and the Magic Pro Tour, well, I wasn't on the Magic Pro Tour, but like trying to achieve that, you know, became part of what I knew to be the grind of gaming, like playing every weekend, traveling to these 200-person tournaments just to try and make the Pro Tour. Then back to Star Wars Destiny, you know, you have this much more casual scene. FFG is more focused on store events, weekly game nights, store championships, maybe like once a season that feed into something bigger like 
the world championship or a convention championship like they had at Gen Con. And then they had, you know, they gave different names to it, but, you know, a regional championship or a state championship where they're having something a little bit more elevated in every state. And the way they structure their games and X-Wing was very much like this too, was where you had these weekly nights and that's where you could accumulate all your tokens and have like really nice acrylic versions of all the tokens that they had. But then you're, you're doing all that to get better and improve your play so you can compete on a larger level. And while they didn't necessarily feed into the other, like you didn't have to do store events to go to a regional, it behooved you to do those things. So you had, you know, you had put in the time, you got cool bling. That bling was actually worth something because people, um, we'll talk about this more later, like are really into official FFG prize support. Like a token that you can get off Etsy is not nearly as valuable as one that you can get in a tournament, even a weekly store night tournament kit. So I really got to understand how FFG runs their tournaments through playing both Destiny and X-Wing for about five years total and really understanding how they structure their organized play. As I mentioned before, I know that you are a accomplished player, but it is important to remember that comparative accomplishments, while is represented by a individual, more often than not is represented by a team. Going back to Star Wars Destiny, you talked about you and your team's accomplishments during Star Wars Destiny, but can you go over them again? And you might have forgotten some. Like, I'm sure you guys have won some regionals and store championships. Yeah, I, I mean, store championships, I have no clue. Like, I know I went to a bunch. I usually didn't win too many because Joe usually won, but there were plenty of final tables between either me, Joe, me, Nick, or Nick and Joe in terms of um, store championship and regionals events. You know, just hitting them quick, Joe and I, we came in first and second at the very first, like, really big Destiny event. I know the first Worlds was kind of big, but it was also very exclusive that not everyone could go. But Destiny at Gen Con for the North American Championship was the first open event, um, and we finished first and second. And then we followed that up the following World Championship by finishing third, fourth. Um, which was really big. And then our other teammate, Andrew Cox, he won Gen Con the following year in 2018. And then I won it in 2019. I made the top eight of all three. You know, Nick top eighted one of them. Uh, we all top cutted like all the world championships. So we were always there at the top because we worked together and really put in the time more. At the, at the beginning, we were putting in more time than anyone else. And I think we kind of set the tone for how much time people were willing to put in. Speaking about your team, I would like to bring this up because a lot of people, when they play a game competitively, when they first enter that, they overlook how important being a part of a team is. How important is being a part of a team for competitive success if that is what you desire? For me, it's really important. And I feel like I've always worked better in that kind of situation. There are plenty of people, depending on the game who can just grind it out by themselves like with like magic right there's all these there's magic arena there's magic online there's all these ways for you to just sit there look at the data and practice and play your game but with a game like star wars destiny or any ffg game that online platform where you can accumulate real data just doesn't exist and there's not enough iterations to really generate enough data to like make any decisions so having teammates to bounce ideas off of and catch you when you're making mistakes and really elevating you, pushing you to be better is what I think makes, I know it's always been successful for me to have like really great teammates that have worked for me in Star Wars CCG. My best friend, Justin Desai, one of the absolute greatest Star Wars card players ever, if not the greatest for that game. Uh, and then same to be said with Joe, you know, really unrivaled in terms of his skill, even though like 
even if he doesn't necessarily have all of the finishes that some other people have, he still had incredible top finishes and he was so good. I mean, he just beat me up routinely and he's who made me a better player. Moving on to the structure of organized play. When you first look at a game and you look at it from a comparative point of view, what is it in a game's organized play that draws you from it and that you look for? So I think I have a pretty unique perspective on this. And I've been talking to a bunch of people in the Hyperloops Discord this week just to like get an idea of what other people think. But the thing for me that's going to draw me to it is, I guess, is the prizing worth it for me to go try and win these prizes? And are the people that I care about invested in this game? Even if they're not in it with me, maybe they're like old rivals from Destiny or Star Wars CCG that are picking it up. Like, is that going to motivate me? I need some motivating factor that is going to make me go like travel to Gen Con and play in this open championship and like skip all the cool things about Gen Con and sit in a convention hall for 12 hours and grind it out. It really has to be worth it. Like I've got to have some thing there that I can achieve and accomplish. And ultimately that it's worth my time that the prizes I win are either something that I really want or that are worth selling to someone else because they want them. So those are the things that I am going to be looking for specifically. But I think that that is not a common perspective. Now, this episode is going to be Star Wars Destiny heavy, and I expect it, and I expect a lot of listeners to be former Star Wars Destiny players. I don't want to get you in trouble, but looking back at Star Wars Destiny, who would you say was your rival? I would say my biggest rival was Andrew Rothermel, the forever world champion. I mean, I had a bunch for sure. But he and I had a couple highly contentious games, but always played each other at the biggest events. We played each other at the Gen Con that I won. We played each other at the World Championship he won. We played each other, I think, at the 2018 Gen Con, and we played each other at the World Championship where I came in third. So we always played each other at these big, big events. And they were very close games and sometimes, you know, emotional games. Bringing things back to official organized play, what appeals to you most comparatively? Do you prefer prizes in official comparative events, and I stress official, to be really top-heavy or more well-rounded? Well, I guess I, guess I would want it a little top-heavy. The, the one thing that I always thought that FFG did do well, but maybe my perspective is skewed because the bigger events I did tend to do well, was that they seemed to have prizes that everyone could enjoy like the spot glosses that people could win, like you could earn points in side events or even in the main event to go to the prize wall and shop. But then if you did do really well at the event, you were winning exclusive play mats or exclusive art prints or things like that, that no one else could have. So I really expect FFG's prizing to be on the better side. I'm a little worried that they're just going to do all foils and alt arts. Maybe they'll do spot glosses of like the bases and the leaders and stuff. But I'm a little worried that they, because they're not doing actual tokens, although I guess they did talk on the live stream today that they might actually do token versions of the tokens and not card versions of the tokens. I expect the prizing to be pretty good across the board. And so I think I want it to be more balanced, but with some really exclusive prizes for the top end. For me personally, when it comes to prize structure with official events, because obviously unofficial events, you can do whatever you want and you can do those really top heavy events. For me to play in an official organized play, the prizes have to be well balanced because I don't do well competitively. I mean, I top some events and whatever, but I'm never going to obtain those top prizes. 
I always look at it. It's like, if I bomb the event, what am I walking away with? Am I getting my money's worth or a little less than my money's worth, but something instead of nothing? Because that is what is important to me. And that is one of the things that discouraged me from playing organized play with Magic the Gathering, which I've been playing for about two years. Is I can't pay what they were charging and go to the event and be happy with what I was getting because for me that isn't worth it. But I am not really one to say from an expert perspective because I'm not a competitive player what is the best approach when you look at your organized play and you're like, okay, how do we want to do this? How can we maximize attendance? But to me, if you want to attend a major event, you want to win. But we'll get into it in our next question here in a second. But like if um, $100,000 is on the line, that's fantastic. But not everybody's going to get that. So does that really draw you to it when you know that your odds of winning it are going to be low? Or will the fact that there will be an even distribution of prizes for maybe not everybody, but maybe like the top 16 or top 32 or something a little bit more realistic, will that draw more? attendance yeah it'll be interesting because you can't mistake it the people like when magic was offering that kind of money and when flesh and blood offers that kind of money they get you know they get people working really hard to qualify for those pro tours and you'd have like four or five hundred people traveling to those pro tours to try and win them so one thing that those games have done well to do is put a whole weekend together of side events and fun things and other competitive events with different kinds of prizes for people who either qualify or are trying to qualify and just want to go and enjoy the game. It'll be interesting to see if FFG follows any of that kind of thing. Even if they don't do cash, are they going to make the big events for this game events that every kind of player wants to go to? Competitive, casual, family. If they can pull that off, I think they'll be successful no matter what because even if you don't want to be competitive, you should be able to find something at those events. And I think FFG was really starting to do that with the last world championship of Destiny that was also X-Wing at the same time. And, you know, having the prize tickets and the prize walls and all of the prizes for both games, or not all of the prizes, but having some really exclusive and collectible prizes like those clone helmets, even though they weren't super high quality, even the X-Wing players were trying to get them because clones were part of X-Wing. So I really think that they have an opportunity to really channel what they've done with their prize walls in the past and make things valuable without necessarily having to shell out tons and tons of cash because it will change the kind of player who comes. You're right. If you can't put in the time or gain the skill to win $100,000 or, or you know, $40,000, there's a real detraction for you to even try to even play at that level. But I will say if 64th place is like, you know, $500 or $800, that might be worth something to somebody. You know, that's not a bad amount of money. It's just like, what's the playing community going to look like? And are enough people going to play to warrant that kind of money? You know, if cash did go that deep into top cut, I think I would definitely play in a, approximately, let's say it's a, like a regional event or whatever. I, I doubt there'll be cash at regional events, but like 300 players, you know, cut into 65, chance to win 50 bucks, pay 30 bucks, 50 bucks to enter. That to me, where I am at, that might be reasonable, but I guess the real answer here is a rhetorical one. You really need a middle ground slash both. Yeah, I agree. And that's why, you know, Magic and Flesh and Blood both have, I don't know what they're called for each one anymore, but they have these Grand Prix, they used to be called in Magic, the Grand Prix, where the prize pool was just $10,000 and it would pay to top 64 and first place would be like maybe 2,500 or 3,500. 
and then all the competitive events pay down to 64. They do tend to be expensive, and the way they offshoot some of that expense is by giving away lots of prizes to everyone who signs up. But you're right, they do tend to be expensive. And like the Magic tournaments you were mentioning, how how much were you being asked to pay for entry for those? 70, 80? It's been a while since I looked because I haven't really been into Magic yet getting, but like it was like, uh, I think it was like 50 or $60 for like a store championship. And you got a, a Modern Horizon pack and a promo card. Mm-hmm. So for me, that wasn't quite worth it because even though it was like 32 players max, I think, I, I'm, I'm trying to do this from the top of my head without pulling it up because I've long since, I couldn't care less. But like, yeah, I think it was like 50 to $60. And then you got a Modern Horizon 2 set booster and a promo card, but you got nothing unless you made top cut. Right. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I can't see FFG going that route unless it was for a very exclusive number of events. But based on everything we know from the the original introduction article we got that had the OP in it, you know, the whole thing is going to be accruing points to get you into whatever those galactic championships are. And if those had a very high buy-in, I'd be pretty surprised. And that will move us perfectly into the first look article that talked about organized play. What did you think about everything that we know coming out of that article? And to go quickly go over it, you had the point system, like you mentioned. They have two different tracks. They have a competitive track and a casual track. Organized play will be in play day one and pre-releases for every set, starting with the first set. So what did you think of all that so far? I mean, I think it kind of speaks to everything that we've already been discussing. It speaks to me in the sense that they're aware of the kinds of card players there are out there and that they want to have something casual and they want to have something competitive and they don't seem to want to have it overlap much. I remember going to my first local destiny events with just a real deck I had taken off the internet or, or not even just like playing Darth Vader. And the people were like, we don't even want to play this event because you're playing Darth Vader. And I think it was like my second time ever playing destiny. That was such a bad feeling that people were just so loss averse. But, you know, the more I played casually locally before that completely died out, the more I saw people just, they're not there to just play. They want to win. And if they feel like other people are more competitive than them or playing, you know, quote unquote net decks and it pushes the community like out of any casual sort of situation, then, you know, FFG is going to see their local game bases implode just like it did in Massachusetts and New England because there was just... After the first, like, I don't even think when we got to the third set, I even had any locals anymore. I don't think I went to a single local once Empire War dropped because there just weren't any. And that was just because, you know, no one wanted to go and get beat up by Joe playing four wide Volatique, you know, just grinding out games in completely unfun. And that is what's so important about having the two different tracks and Hopefully they will have weekly events that will try to encourage that more casual play. But I think the pre-releases, having that every set definitely helps because there are people who don't play at their store events except for pre-releases for Magic and even Pokemon. And that in of itself is a more laid-back experience and in its own format. Because we don't know yet what the structure is going to be. Most pre-releases are sealed, constructed. But I mean... They could also give the option and allow people to draft too. So, yeah, and I lo- like I even went to a Magic pre-release just because my kids were out of town with my wife and I had nothing to do. I was like, I might as well play Magic. I haven't played live Magic in years. 
so I love that idea. And I honestly, I hadn't even thought about this, but they were talking about it on the live show today. So I should have, but like, I'm really excited. Maybe the thing I'm most excited for, for unlimited is the draft play, the limited play. If they can really figure that out and you know, I have my doubts, but if they can really figure that out and that's a real competitive format, that would even the playing field so much and have so many more people interested in playing it competitively because anyone can crack a pack and either hope to rip a bomb or piece together a bunch of stuff of the same color and try and beat someone whose draft didn't come together. So if they can kind of figure that out on both ends, I think that could be the thing that really bridges the gap between casual and competitive. I am so excited for draft because all the things that you mentioned, plus it gives stores another option how to run their local event. Yeah, if you run like a tournament structure, that tends to be more skewed towards competitive. But with draft, everybody comes into it on the same playing field in a sense that, you know, everybody's starting with nothing. I mean, yeah, you have experience, you have knowledge of the set and stuff like that, but that is the case in every draft. So having that as an option is such a great answer. And playing Star Wars Destiny for the years that it was around, playing draft was fun, but it was so constrictive that it's going to be so nice to have that option and to be able to play draft that I think there are a lot of people who don't realize yet how important draft is going to be and how impactful it's going to be for the game. Yeah, and not only was it restrictive, but it didn't have any actual impact. Like, they never had draft events for Destiny that mattered. And another thing is that it's a good way for stores to sell packs. How many stores were left with tons and tons of Destiny packs still in their stores? Because once you had two of everything, you didn't need any more. You know, and Unlimited will be different because, what do you need, three of each card? Correct. Yeah, so it'll be a little bit better, but man, like there was almost no point in buying large amounts because you only needed two of any given card for a deck. So one way that Magic has always fought that is they always make the best lands rare, and you need four of them. So it always behooved people to like crack more and more packs, do more and more drafts to try and get lands because the lands are so dang expensive. So I think that that is something that they could take out of Magic's book, which is just like make draft matter a little bit more. People will buy the packs. The packs will sell. It'll be a more successful game. It'll make them more money. As we wrap up organized play in Star Wars Unlimited, are there any questions you still have when it comes to organized play that you are looking forward to them answering? Slash. What would you really want from organized play in Star Wars Unlimited? So here's where I'll invoke sort of the conversations I had with people who are in the Loops Discord. What people seem to want, and this is what I want for people, is to have consistent reasons to play. There can't be crazy delays with the store kits because then no one's going to go to the store kits to play for the same prizes they've been playing for for the last six months. So there needs to be like whatever delays they had with previous games, like those things need to be solved. There needs to be consistent and high turnover prizes and the prizes have to matter so that not only do stores want to run them, but people want to go. As I said, and I, you know, I said this the whole way through destiny, I don't have a local scene because nobody wants to play. We couldn't get anyone locally playing. So I only played on TTS. The only times I played live were at worlds at regionals, or at Gen Con. That's it. The number of times I played in person, I could probably count on my fingers and toes. And that's crazy. That's not what most people want. People want to be able to go to their store and rely on there being a game night firing. They want to be able to schedule, especially like look at the people who play. It's not, it's not a lot of young people who've played these FFG games in the past. 
They want to be able to know what weekend it is far in advance. They want to be able to schedule it and book it and have multiple options. If there's only one Gen Con, fine. But then, you know, there should be like five or six regionals. So if you can't get to one, maybe you could fly to another or, you know, one that's closer. So just having consistency and a lot of turnover between events in terms of like have a lot of events and make sure the prizes are new and fresh and that the events always fire and get the stores on board. Speaking of prizes for local events, one of the things that Magic the Gathering and I believe Flesh and Blood does, as well as Pokemon, I think they recently introduced it, is what's called a promo pack, where every time you go to your locals, you get a pack of like three cards, and in that pack is like three alternate versions of cards. If Star Wars Unlimited were to introduce something like that, do you think that would be impactful for like weekly local events? I do if they had good cards in them. The chances that people had of pulling good cards were real. You know, I think that's a really great way to do prizes. People love ripping packs. They love blind bags. They want to be surprised, right? But they don't want to they don't want to be like opening crap all the time. They want to be able to see either someone else or they want to themselves pull something good. Figuring out the nice balance of like having a prize pack, but also making sure that the stuff you get out of it was worth it. And then also so that stores aren't just like handing them out or selling them on the side and people aren't just like buying the store kits to sell them. You know, there's a lot to balance there. You can't make them too valuable, but you don't want to make them utter nothing. So if they can strike that balance, I really love the idea. Whether or not they can pull that off is what we're really looking at. I mean, that's really the whole crux of all this, right? Is like, can they pull this off, this thing that they want to? I look at everything and I do think that they are in a, a good position. I also look at the fact of where they were in 2019 towards the end before the pandemic. Keyforge was doing stuff. Like they were, I think they were doing a cash tournament and organized play. And I think FFG, where FFG was at that point in time, they were improving in the organized play. But I also think that moving forward, they are not going to have the problem that they have then now and that is them overstretching themselves with competitive games to me if FFG is serious about star wars unlimited being a competitive game i would argue that it would have to be their only competitive game with organized play and they would have to put all their energy behind it to make it successful yeah i mean those are great points and from everything i've heard that is what's happening they've got everyone at ffg working on this game and this is their big big push to try and get it to work. Mike, time flew. We barely scratched the surface. I could talk with you about so much for hours and hours and hours, but we have to wrap this up. So before we conclude this topic and move on to our listener questions, is there any last words you would like to say about organized play, Star Wars Unlimited, Star Wars Destiny, or anything else you would like to share or say? I guess the only thing I want to say, if I haven't yet, you know, I have guarded hope for Star Wars Unlimited, but everything I've seen is good and interesting. And I know we've only seen very, very little. You know, I've talked to people who know more about it than me, and they haven't given me very much at all other than that they are excited for me to see and learn more about this game because they think I'm going to really like it. And I hope that's the case. I hope it's something that captures my attention. And I hope it's something that captures the attention of a lot of people because I love Star Wars gaming and I really want to see it returned to card form. Like I miss the card playing aspect of Star Wars and I'm ready to slowly let it back into my life. I think I can speak for everybody in the Star Wars Destiny community, both old 
and the people still in it, we hope to see you around. Thank you. I appreciate that. It is now time for our listener questions. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that were submitted to us via our social media pages and in our Discord. Our first question comes from somebody who I'm sure you remember, and that is Banana Crapshoot from the Saga Podcast on Discord. And his question is exclusively for you. His question is, is this a game you are seriously taking a look at? What have you seen from Star Wars Unlimited that you like or dislike? Also, he says hello. Hi, Banana. Uh, yeah, I I mean, that's such an easy question. Yes, I'm seriously taking a look at it. I don't know what that means. But it's got my interest really peaked with the bases and the leaders. They kept the best thing about Destiny. You take an action, I take an action. Like, that's the thing we loved about Destiny. Um, although I'm already worried that we see action cheating in set one, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, I love I love the base aspect. I love the resource from your hand aspect. I love everything that I've seen so far in terms of like, this seems like a fresh way to take a lot of the things that games have done well and put it into a new game that's sort of like an amalgamation of some of the best games I've ever played. So I'm going to say this with love, but when it comes to action cheating as a Sabine Ezra player, I don't think you have much room to talk. I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't take advantage of it, but... I don't think a lot of people liked it. And I would say it's like one of the things that pulled the most people away from Destiny. And while I like playing it at high level events where I could leverage it and do well with it, that doesn't mean I wanted it at the expense of like the game not being popular or people like quitting the game, you know? Oh, completely. I know I have no room to talk because not only did I play Sabine Ezra, but I played Pomage. Yeah, heck yeah. And for our next and final question... Echo Base on Twitter asks, is it necessary for the competitive side of organized play to have cash prizes? All right, I'm going to assume that what EBG means here is that is it necessary for there to be cash for the competitive side to be successful? I don't know like what level of success we're really looking for here, but I don't think cash is completely necessary if the prizes are worth it. And are exclusive, right? Like one of the things that Destiny did really well was have exclusive mats. I still have a couple of my favorite, but I've sold so many of the Star Wars Destiny prizes for hundreds of dollars. And that's not a bad place to be for a pretty casual game. And if Destiny can figure out how to up that, right? And like, that's with a small game. If Destiny were a bigger game, then those prizes might be worth even more. So if they can find a way to get a lot of people to play without cash, and make the prizes so exclusive that they're worth a lot of cash. I think that you don't need it. I will say, however, I always thought that Destiny and games in general, and this is true even of the Star Wars CCG game now, which still does really well in its player committee era, because it still gives out thousands of dollars for world championships. They still get people showing up to that thing. And I think that a moderate amount of cash on a regular basis would help offset the travel time the amount of effort and the amount of purchasing people are going to be doing. So if they can figure out a way to have some cash trickle down to the top 64 in a several hundred person event, and they can get several hundred people showing up, I think that'd be great, but I don't think it's necessary. For me, this is such a hard question to ask because I am so biased against cash because who I am as a player, I'm not really ever going to accomplish that. So I kind of dismiss it. I acknowledge my bias. 
and I'm frank with my bias. That being said, whatever it takes for FFG to be successful with Star Wars Unlimited, I would love. But I also think that there may be a way to be successful competitively without having cash prizes, but I am open to the idea. I do think that what they're doing with the point system, which is something I absolutely loved about Pokemon when I played it, it definitely drives attendance. And that is going to be really important because if I go to a regional and I get points based on where I cut, it incentivizes me to travel to other regionals to get points in order to attend what we assume will be worlds. So I think that is a big plus. I do think that if Lucasfilm slash Disney, more so Lucasfilm, would get behind it and offer some exclusive prizes, that could be successful. Like, could you imagine if you won Worlds and you got a tour of Skywalker Ranch? No, that would be awesome. And in fact, the first ever Star Wars CCG World Championship, they flew the winner and a friend of his out to Tunisia to see the site of the filming of A New Hope. Well, how about this? You win Worlds, you get to be in a Star Wars TV show. Granted, you're going to be a background character, but still, that's a lot of cred. But imagine Bo-Katan shot me. That would be amazing. Oh, man. I mean, you're going to have a Mandalorian helmet on, but I mean, still, that's still something. Well, I don't think she's going to shoot me if I have a helmet on. I think I'm going to probably be like random jabroni number three. Uh, well, there you go. I mean, I'd, I'd be cool with a helmet, but I'd rather Bo-Katan shoot me. Another thing that I think they could be successful with that doesn't require cash prizes, travel vouchers. I think if they had travel vouchers, I think that would incentivize a lot of players because, yeah, sure, maybe you're not getting cash, but you can play competitively and play at the higher events without having to worry about travel. I think if you had, like, travel vouchers, I think that would be impactful. Yeah, I agree. And I think they could really be creative with it. Like, you know, you mentioned the the Skywalker Ranch thing, but also like, what if they just had your room booked for Gen Con, which is such an exclusive thing to do anyway. And they use sort of like their gaming hookups to give you like VIP access to something like Gen Con or something that gamers really wanted to go to, you know, Essen in Germany, right? Like these giant, giant gaming conventions that can be logistically a nightmare. I think they have some room to take advantage of that. And one last idea for a prize. How about a meet and greet? And we know that they can do this because he hasn't appeared in the past in their content. But what about like a meet and greet with Sam Whitworth? Or, uh, or Katie Sackhoff, you know, just since I'm trying to meet Bo-Katan here. I really hope that you can meet her if you haven't already, you know, make it to a celebration or something. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I hope she either shoots or chokes me at some point. That'd be great. I think that is the perfect note to move right into the sacred text. This is the part of the show where we tell you about the book that this episode is named after. The book for this episode is called A Crash to Fate. It is a canon book that was released on August 6, 2019. It is about two young adults who were friends as kids, but they were separated as they grew older. Years later, on Batu, they run back into each other and chaos ensues. As they are now two different people, and they have to get to know each other once again. While this book is not considered to be one of the best Star Wars books out there, it is fun to read. Although, it is towards the bottom of any of my lists. Mike, have you read this book? If you have, 
what did you think of it? And if you haven't, does it sound like a book you would read? Yeah, actually, as you were talking, I kind of looked it up. And I, I do remember looking this book up. I haven't read it. I'm pretty out on Star Wars books in general. But if my daughter was really into Star Wars, this is probably like something I would start with. You know, like I like the young adult aspect of it. I think that the plot sounds pretty interesting. I'm not sure about the timeline aspect of like where it falls in Star Wars that, you know, that really interests me that much. But all in all, I'm sure it was like a pretty decent YA book. I do believe it takes place in the sequel trilogy era because it was a tie-in novel to Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been to Galaxy's Edge. I'm not really that interested in it. Uh, so I'm probably out on this book, but, you know, to each their own. I hope someone out there loves it. Well, like I said, it is not towards the top of my list. It's towards the bottom, actually. But as always, I recommend people read the books and make up their own mind. I did read it way back when it was released. But yeah, there's really not much to say compared to other books. But if you haven't heard of this book, now you have. Feel free to check it out. Are you still trying to read all the Star Wars books? Or where did you uh, stop with that whole quest? Oh, heck yeah. I'm, I'm still reading. I'm still reading canon. I'm still reading Legends. I am behind. I have slowed down a little bit on the Legends. But I have switched over to audiobooks. I'm only one book behind when it comes to like the major novels. And that is because I was trying to catch up on the comics. But yeah, I'm still paying attention. I'm still trying to consume as much as I can. More so now, with Star Wars Unlimited, I want to make sure I'm, I'm on top of my game. And when I get the chance to go back and read those Legends books. Nice. Patrons, it is that time of the show where we shout you out. Austin, Jason, Gary, and Tim, we could not do what we do without your support. Thank you so much. If you, listener, would like to become a patron and support us, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Destiny. That will conclude this episode of Ivy Bell. Thank you, Mike, for coming on to talk with me. Once again, I hope to see you around in the Star Wars Unlimited community. If not, I still look forward to having you back on the show again sometime. Thanks. I really appreciated being called up to the big leagues again. I haven't done a podcast in a million years. If people would like to reach out to contact you, where can they do so? Ah, uh, geez, I'm not anywhere anymore. I guess anywhere on social media under Bobby Sapphire. That's uh, one word, three Bs, two Ps. But honestly, if someone's listening to this and they want to get a hold of me, the only public Discord I'm really in is the iRebel Discord. So just ping me there and I will uh, come chat. And if you would like to reach out to contact me, you can do so everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. If you would like to reach out and contact iRebel, you can find iRebel everywhere at iRebel Destiny. Till next episode, everybody. Take care of yourselves and may the Force be with you. Jedi Geek Girl, out. This has been I Rebel, a Star Wars Unlimited podcast. I have been your host, Shadow Geek Girl. If you would like to reach out to contact me, you can do so by sending me an email at irebeldestiny at gmail.com. And as always, may the Force be with you.
Canon podcast not associated with Disney, Lucasfilm, FFP, or any other organization. All copyrights belong to their proper copyright holders.